On this episode of Nurses Voices, we'll be talking with an expert in nursing human resources and in workforce planning about the current critical situation in nursing and what needs to happen in the future to solve our shortage issues. This is Nurses Voices. Nurses Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Hi, everyone. I'm Gail Donner. And I'm Mary Wheeler. Welcome to our first episode of Season 2 of Nurses Voices. Before we begin, we'd like to thank Pfizer Canada for their generous sponsorship of this season's Nurses Voices. We're hearing a lot about nurses leaving their work and their profession. It's scary for the public and for all of us in the profession. But what is really going on? What do we know about who's leaving, why, and more importantly, what should we be doing about it? To help us understand the issue, we're very fortunate to have an internationally recognized nurse joining us this evening on Nurses' Voices. Welcome, Gail Tomlin Murphy. Thank Gail you. Is Vice President, Research, Innovation and Discovery, and Chief Nurse Executive at Nova Scotia Health and director of the PEHO WHO Collaborating Center on Health Workforce Planning and Research at Dalhousie University. More relevant, Gail is an expert in health system strengthening and health workforce policy planning and research and understands what we need to do to recruit and retain nurses in Canada. So I want to get right into it, right to the meat of the matter, if you will. And as I said in the intro, every day we're bombarded with stories about nurses leaving, about burnout, about moral distress, and, and, and more than that. So what can you tell us about the state of the nursing workforce in Canada? The pandemic definitely has shone a light on the very important part of the nursing workforce. Nurses care. They're compassionate and they will work as hard as they can work to make a difference in the life of patients. And we've seen that each and every day. And so when you ask about where is it that we've been and, and where are we heading, I've been studying this work and have my background. I'm a critical care nurse. And the most important work that I have done in my career is caring for patients and their families to identify what their needs are, what they need and how we can help them we well understand retention and recruitment of nurses. We know things that need to be in place to value nurses right from the time that they're students and coming and making that transition to practice. We know that there's policy strategies that need to be in place to make sure we have safe staffing, for instance, to deliver care. We know that we need to support nurses in ways that are going to help them with their ongoing professional development. We know there's strategies to actually move forward to empower nurses to make decisions that impact them, to empower them to be the leaders that they are. But we've fallen short. And the reason that I think we really have fallen short is because the shortage of nurses or the gap in terms of the nurses that we need that are required to deliver care has not always been a hot topic until and we're faced by a pandemic or until there's a global shortage of some kind. So health human resources has not been something that we have taken seriously. 
across this country, and it's not something that we have paid attention to each and every day. You said we know what needs to be done. What does need to be done now? There's all kinds of evidence that talk about strategies that need to be in place to retain nurses. Examples of that would be, we have to have appropriate staffing patterns. We have to make sure we have enough nurses working with other team members to have all of the technology that they need to have in place to deliver the care that people require and they deserve. But oftentimes we have actually done staffing in ways that we have allowed vacancy rates to continue. That is to have underfilled positions, positions that should be filled in order to move to complement. But oftentimes we save money in the system by not filling those positions. That would be an example. But so then what we do is we expect nurses to be working longer. We expect them to come back to work when they're needed as opposed to self-scheduling and, and balancing their life with their school perhaps or their families or their friends or their exercise. And because nurses are incredibly committed, for years they have gone back to work and oftentimes extra hours, extra shifts, and it's not to make extra money in terms of overtime. It's because they're compassionate and they want to have somebody there to deliver care. So if we think about staffing, that is one. The other thing is we really haven't paid attention to that early career nurse. We should be courting each and every day students, learners, people who have chosen to come into the nursing profession and as employers, for instance, offer them the positions that they will be looking for so that they'll stay, they feel valued, they feel part of the system, that we're working with them on their career goals, that we're learning from them and changing a system to reflect new technology, new evidence, new ways of practice. But oftentimes we wait and nurses will graduate and then they have to sit back and try to find a place where they can work and a match with an employer who seems to share the values and the vision and, and the goals that they want. But instead, time oftentimes passes. Why is it mm -hmm. that we have known all this, that the evidence is there, that the practical solutions are there, ones that oftentimes don't cost a lot, but we don't necessarily put them in place? We also know transition to practice has been an area that we've learned and we've talked a lot about. And there's that, that argument that often happens. Well, academic institutions or colleges um, would, should, should, they should actually be preparing those nurses to hit the floor running. It's like, what? What floor running like what? At what pace and what's right? And so oftentimes the employer hasn't been involved enough, early enough to make sure that the system is understood if the processes of care are understood, for instance, where employers are working closely with academic institutions and putting that nurse in the center of that decision-making, we are seeing benefits. We are seeing the impact that that can have around the retention as well as the recruitment. So the reason the stories that I'm telling right now are not only based on evidence that has been here for many years that people have ignored, and not actually instituted or put in place, but because things are so bad. Let's put COVID-19 in the middle of this. So we know across this country 
that we have needs of, of people are in their homes, in the system, and trying to get home that are very complex and very demanding. And we also know that given the care delivery team, and we're talking nurses today, that right now over 30% of the workforce is out as a result of COVID-19. And we see that each and every day um, in the system, we see it, light shone on it in the evening, and in communities who are incredibly vulnerable already, that the light has been shone on those communities. And so things are not good. Where we are right now is things are so bad that we are actually partnering in ways that we haven't before. We're arriving at solutions that I've talked about in terms of bringing in volunteers, bringing in unregulated and regulated workers to work in ways that we can actually deliver mass immunizations um, in ways that we can do public health measures and, and uh, keep, try to keep track of some of that. But at the same time, to deliver care to people, if we use that as an example with COVID, which is requiring a different kind of care than ever before. I hear you saying it also has created an opportunity. An opportunity because, I'll put it more bluntly, employers are desperate. What is going to happen post-pandemic? What's going to happen to this spirit of, let's see what we can do if we work together? How are we going to make this sustainable, some of these initiatives, some of this, it's almost as if we can't let the public or ourselves or the employer forget what it looks like when you are critically short of people you need to deliver care. How many years have we been saying that we need to have nurses involved in decisions that affect them and impact them, that they need to be central to the decisions that impact patients, that they need to work with uh, interprofessional teams and our medical profession in, in a way that they are, you know, influencing change. But there has been so, such a history where this has not been present. And yet can't just plan for a pandemic without thinking services as usual. Mm -hmm. So we've got pandemic, which is coming and going, depending on the wave that we're in. And then services as usual. People are still needing to come to emergency. Access and flow is an issue. And oftentimes we know that there's been strategies around access and flow that hadn't been put in place. We also know that we've had to reduce surgeries in order to actually deliver services as usual as well as the pandemic. So I'm gonna point the finger for a minute. I have been around a long time where oftentimes nurses have talked about RN only, and it's a registered nurse who needs to be involved in the care because he or she has all the competencies and nobody else does. Well, we have seen through this pandemic and more with the light that has been shone in my thinking is that there is room for our, our partners to work together differently. Students working with the family of nursing, working with our regulated and our unregulated workers and what have you. So, so what are we going to do and, and why now? It is because and it's not just the system who's short. Like when you talk about the system needs nurses to deliver care, think about um, our community. Think about health promotion. Think about population health, public health. Think about caring for our people living, uh, for instance, our, our Afri I'll use my own example, African uh, Nova Scotians, our Indigenous communities. 
This has also helped us to better understand how care needs to be delivered in a very different way through engaging communities. Nurses have actually led us in a very powerful way through this pandemic. And there are many days and many nights that if nurses threw up their arms and said, I'm done, I am out of here, this system would crash. So what kinds of things can we put in place? Well, we can actually invest. As employers, I can speak to that. We can invest in actually retention and recruitment. The things that Mary, you and Gail have talked about for years, we can invest in ongoing professional development. We can actually move towards preceptorship and mentorship in a way that's not just tapping on the shoulder of experienced nurses, but perhaps it's using our retired nurse pool, which for us has been brilliant to come and to help to develop the programs that are needed around preceptorship and, and mentorship. We also have been privileged enough to be working and writing for the Royal Society of Canada on the, the nursing piece that we're doing right now. And this has brought nursing experts from across the country to come and talk again about what hasn't worked in the past. Why have those policy documents sat on shelves? Why have they not had legs or teeth or actually influenced policymakers and decision makers to actually move on anything? What I'm experiencing right now is that we are actually working with our decision makers and policy makers who are asking for 30, 60, 90 day operational plans in order to sustain and to make a difference. And I'm hearing and involved in long-term planning. So I think the table is set in ways that nurses and nursing can actually influence where we are today and go forward. Um, and, and, and I know there's days that we're, we, you know, we need to be concerned with the U.S. For instance, I heard today off the, you know, um, from, from people within my work that people are being offered, go to California for three months, you make $100,000 per month. So the sucking sound to the South, that's not new. That the issues about eating are young, those issues aren't new. We have allowed this to continue. Now's our opportunity, and this is, the, this, this is the optimism I have. Now is our opportunity to work in partnerships differently and to actually make the changes. So you mentioned money. Yeah. Uh, the lure of uh, the U.S., in the short term at least, how important is money in recruitment and retention? Well, I think we have to be realistic. Money, you know, we have to make sure that there's parity, that, that nurses are paid. If you look at market value and business models, that they're paid for their education, for their experience, um, for uh, a lot of different factors. And, and so, you know, people say to me at times, well, how much, how much do you think that's worth? And I'll say, well, what do you mean? How much is it worth? What are you paying a doc? Or what are you paying a pharmacist? Or, or what are you paying? So I think market value is really important. And I don't, I don't think nurses have done a really good job of talking yeah. money that when we young and, and, and starting to look for employment, it's like, well, what will my shifts be like? How much vacation? Like, I think we need to be asking how much money. And there needs to be, um, you know, we need to look at incentives. We need to look at unions have done a very good job around collective agreements to actually make sure that we have ongoing professional development that, and many other important incentives. But they've also helped us at times to look for increases that we should be, we should be getting. I work in a system 
where there's a lot of emphasis on medical professions. I work in a system where as the chief nurse exec, where we continue until very recently um, to not even, not even to encourage our, our optimization of, of scope. Why is it a year ago, less than a year ago, that we had nurse practitioners underemployed? That makes no sense to me. When we know the impact nurse practitioners have on a variety for 20, 30 years, the difference that they can actually make. And, and because part of that has to do with physicians. And when physicians are in master agreement, we have to be incredibly careful. And once they're happy, then we can talk about salaries. We need to be talking across the board about salaries and incentives. We need to pay. And nurses, many, val many um, work overtime. Many are, are finding ways to get the, the money and the incentives that, that they're looking for. But our studies for many years have shown that the more overtime that nurses do and the, the poor staffing patterns that we have, then the impact the, that is a reduction in the quality of care, um, the, the emotional and physical exhaustion of nurses and all those things. You've been involved in those studies for, for many, many years. So we need to be talking about incentives and we need, and, and salary is part of that. So the nurse that's working at the bedside, what does he or she need to do to move this agenda forward? When it comes right down to it, it's a system problem. And, you know, we too often have blamed the individual. If we went around anywhere today in any of our, our regional hospitals, in our long-term care, our community care, anywhere, nurses would be at the breaking point. They're exhausted, frightened, they're fearful. And what I would say right now is with our new government and our new health transition team, there's some hope. Why is there hope? It's because a premier, a new premier, our, our Minister of Health, for instance, she's a nurse. And we've got a very strong team who have went to every end of the province. The difference is they had a listening tour. They listened. The difference right now is from that listening tour, there are plans, 30, 60, 90, with investments, money, people, and strategies. So some of the strategies that I opened with in terms of optimization of scope, mentorship and preceptorship, early transition programs, and, and hiring nurses, um, for instance, when they're early learners in their second year of the program, we've talked about those things before. The difference now, and I hope, and I would put a plea out to governments and systems across this country to actually rectify at this point, to actually invest in these strategies and if we don't, and if there isn't that commitment to do it differently this time, then I think we need to be incredibly concerned. We have had these huge gaps for many, many years. The strategies have been before us, but oftentimes the political pieces get in the way. Well, the pandemic has actually made, uh, whether you're a political player, whether you're a decision maker, whether you're a community member, um, whether you are, it doesn't matter what part of the system that you find yourself in, but most importantly, that the changes now are incredibly important. Look at the media every night. We have our infectious disease experts who are talking about, we have our, our ICU physicians and this and that. And then the stories they capture of nurses are the nurse who's just falling apart. Exactly. Okay, they are falling apart, but give them the voice to actually talk about what are the problems? What would make it different? 
what would make a difference for them. Um, for them to be home with their families, um, to have some downtime, and add to that, at least 30% of the workforce is out because of their, their positive themselves or they've been in contact with somebody. So, you know, I, I think that there, it's a system issue on, on so many levels, but I am very optimistic. And it's the work that you guys have done and many others have done. If we can put feet to the fire, and this is, this is the last goal of action investing retention recruitment strategies because now is our opportunity. And I am fearful mm -hmm. that if this passes and we move into a place where we become complacent, it's an endemic and we're gonna live with this and then the next surge comes. So I, I, I and I really believe um, from a lot of different perspectives and, and, and involvement that I've had that now now is, now is the time, but we've gotta listen and we've got to respond. How many times have we talked 80-20, where 80% is care delivery, 20% is for nurses to actually you know, develop their leadership skills, to mentor, to precept, to maybe get involved in some research or to do something different. If we mean it and we value the nursing workforce, now is the time to make those differences. We've gotten a lot of traction in Nova Scotia. I've been pressed that the Royal Society, I don't know, have they ever done anything about nursing? Yep. Never. We've actually put in our report at this point. And this consisted of people like me who've been involved in this for some time, from BC right through to Newfoundland, including our Indigenous community. We have put an equity diversity lens definitely on, on, on this inclusiveness type of lens. We have had people who've been involved in this work for years, people like Doris Gridsman, like Greta Cummings, like Kathleen McMillan, um, like Judith Olton, uh, like Josephine Muxel. There's just, and, and people came together and I thought, oh my goodness, this is gonna be a challenge. So how do we land on, you know, recommendations that are going to have traction that aren't the same old ones that sit on somebody's desk? What are those pragmatic types of strategies? So this was work um, that uh, is, is actually illustrating in the voices of nurses. Um, but, and so we used a lot of different ways. We interviewed a lot of uh, nurses and key informants. We actually did your rapid review kind of synthesis, systematic reviews, but we also pulled in factors prior to um, pandemic, during pandemic and what this means in terms of, of the future. So now we, we do have the opportunity fabulous. To, the to gather all of us uh, to make a difference. And it's going to take all of us working together at this point. And it's hard to rise above, rise above the challenges and the obstacles. But it's thinking about what obstacles need to be moved, what rocks need to be moved to see the other side. Uh, you know, you made a comment earlier about uh, working together because yeah. within nursing, of course, we have our own uh, science, if you will. And uh, it, I, I like to hope when I listen to you that this will create an opportunity maybe for the partners within the profession to come together, maybe around the Royal Society paper, I don't know, but something needs to bring folks together and Stop the finger pointing within our, uh, you know, between and among our colleagues. I agree. And if you think of examples in long-term care, for example, 
if you think about what's happening every day in our emergency and our critical care and our med surge areas, if we think about um, you know, any sector, uh, we think about public health and uh, immunization and testing and, and contact tracing and all of that. We've only been, we're only moving towards success by working together. So it's thinking about what are the competencies and, and what is knowledge and skills that providers have, and let's put them together to work together as opposed to, um, you know, the protectionism and, and the silos that we, and nursing has been very rough on nursing. And I think that uh, we're at a time and a place that uh, this, this scenario has changed, that we see licensed practical nurses working incredibly well with registered nurses, with nurse practitioners and, and our PCWs and, and others. So I think that uh, the, the day has come to remove those silos and, and I, I think we're getting there. This is for me, Gail, a good news story. And I think it'll be timely even this document you say is about to be released. Yeah. Um, this first episode of Nurses' Voices, um, I think it'll be good that we attach some resources so that it goes back to my original, the question I keep asking, that nurse at the front line, instead of saying, well, that's nice for them to be talking about it, but what does this really mean to be able to make the linkages and to show the strategies so I'm really, I'm optimistic also just based on our conversation. But before we close, I'd be curious uh, on a personal note, um, it just, you're very passionate about this topic. You yeah. talked at the beginning that you started in critical care as a clinician. So how did you make the shift? Thanks for asking that. And I think probably the best part of my career ever was being a critical care nurse and being in the middle of, of the life of patients and, and their families and, and loved ones in a way that we cut right to the chase. You know, that the conversation was always very valuable. It was meaningful to, to the patient, which was most important. And that passion, you know, really led me to trying to bring that passion. I taught critical care nursing and, and then I went into nursing education and, and, you know, it was history. I did my PhD, which I think the focus on understanding the needs of people and the care that they need and who delivers that care and, and the different ways that we can do that was, I thought at the time, something that everybody knew a lot about. That's what I think my passion has continued because it's been focused on the needs of people and building systems around that and the workforce as well. Um, I feel coming into this position after 30 years in academia, which I loved each and every day of and running an international research center, I really believe right now that my passion and my vision and, and working, to your point, with our frontline workers <laughs> to be part of solutions as opposed to people telling us what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, this is, and, and really, it's, it's, it's running an innovation portfolio. So it's coming, always thinking, never go to know. Think about how do we actually come up with innovative solutions to do things differently and to test to try them and to evaluate them. So we need to have passionate leaders. We need to have people who don't themselves as leaders don't get burned out, that they feel passionate. And then we've got to find ways to support that. And, and you know, you know, Mary, to you and Gail, who have for many years and continue to move forward the importance of just that passion, uh, leadership, empowering people and finding realistic strategies to do that. I think you've been incredibly helpful 
And I would really encourage you to continue to share your messages because they definitely are sticking. Thanks. On that note, I think it's very appropriate for us to say thank you very much. You've definitely given all of us lots to think about, that's for sure. And I think following up from what Mary said, when the Royal Society paper comes out, we'll make sure that uh, our colleagues have uh, access to it. And nurses can bring it to the attention of their employers and colleagues, etc. So Yeah, there sure is. Let's yeah. just say thank you very yeah. much. Thanks yeah. a lot, Gail. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And we definitely will make sure that you get everything that, that uh, you need to, to help with some of this. And I'm glad we've made this connection. And I look forward to our ongoing work together. Very important work. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of Season 2 of Nurses' Voices. We've been talking about a timely but very complex issue, and we've just touched the surface. But hopefully this has answered some of your questions and concerns and given you some food for thought. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you in future episodes. You can view and listen to Nurses' Voices on a variety of platforms, including YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please click the subscribe button to ensure you don't miss an episode of Nurses' Voices. And remember, if you want to give us any feedback, please connect with us through nursesvoices.ca and remember to sign up for our e-newsletter. Nurses' Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is created by Donna Wheeler. It is produced by Sector Limited. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association.